All right. Well, Arcady, welcome to the DER task, for, task Force podcast, or as James always uh, yells at me for, welcome to the Thunderdome. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. Thunderdome. <laughs> I did in this time. Always I trust the you emphasis. Now. Yeah, we always do. <laughs> um, we think you're going to do well here, but it can get a little, a little fun, a little spicy. So, uh, you know, just be prepared. Uh, before we dive into FreeWire and, you know, why you started the company and what it's been like running it for a few years now, we like to just learn a little bit about you. So we ask everyone the same first question. If you listen to the podcast, you might have heard it before. If you need a definition, you can ask, when did you first get DER-pilled, DER, Distributed Energy Resource? You know, I think it was probably in 2014 or 2015, we... We started looking at how to deploy charging infrastructure at real scale. And, and I really mean ubiquitous charging infrastructure across the country, across the world. And my, I, I really believed at the time that battery systems would change the way we think about charging at scale. Um, we started deploying batteries on a this kind of mobile platform. We, we were actually pushing batteries around parking lots and seeing that- Like on a we cart? Cannot, like on a cart, I, you know, the, the backstory <laughs> about that is actually pretty fascinating. I wanted to build this mo this prototype of a mobile battery system that could charge cars and could supplant utility infrastructure, but I didn't have access to batteries. It was near impossible to get them at the point. So I did what I'm a, I'm a, I'm a gearhead. I've used, I've worked on cars my entire life. And I did what I've done in my past, which is I found parts at a junkyard. And I am not joking about this whatsoever. I found a wrecked Nissan Leaf Amazing. at a junkyard outside of Vegas, had the battery pack shipped to me in the San Francisco Bay Area, tore apart the pack, put the modules back together in my own way, and put a basically an off-grid solar inverter, a magnum inverter, if you remember that company, uh, next to them. No BMS, right? No management <laughs> of what whatsoever. And... I, well, you okay. just you and a multimeter, just making sure the thing doesn't yeah. catch on fire. Nice. Yeah, me and a multimeter. That's all it was. And, uh, <laughs> and, but then I, I said to myself, these are really heavy. I need to move these around. And I thought to myself, how do I create this kind of mobile skateboard? I, I had the word skateboard in my head before skateboard ever became a popular term in the automotive industry. Um, and I found a mobile skateboard. It was a wheelchair. And so I actually bought a wheelchair off Craigslist, a uh, jazzy scooter. I remember the name. Ooh. And yeah. And I cut the chair off of it and basically built out of the same kind of material you build boat holes out of this fiberglass, built a frame on top of it, mounted these batteries in there, mounted a magnum inverter and used the remote control from the wheelchair. And everyone told me, Hey, that looks like a remote control from a wheelchair. It was a remote control from a wheelchair <laughs> to drive this thing around a parking lot. Oh my and God. this was, these were the days when you were, you were grinding as an entrepreneur. I was wearing a polo shirt like I do now with a free wire logo on it. I was driving this wheelchair battery system around a parking lot in Sunnyvale, California. It was actually LinkedIn's oh. campus. Um, they were my first pilot customer. Plugging in people's cars, people would come outside, oh take photos. God. Look at this robot. It, you know, the, the, autonomy, <laughs> the autonomy at that point was me. I was the autonomy because I was <laughs> driving it around. And then I would plug people's cars in. I'd have about an hour and a half before I needed to move the charger and plug in the next set of cars. I would hop <laughs> in my car, drive up to Sand Hill Road and knock on doors to try to raise venture capital. 
do a meeting if I was lucky, come back, move cars Go back and, to the and wheelchair, rinse and repeat. Oh my gosh! And Damn. so when you talk about distributed batteries, I mean, oh, I was yeah. doing this a long Literally time ago. Mobile. And I was distributing them. <laughs> I was, <laughs> so now I ha- yeah, I have to Wait, ask. How- no, go ahead, Colleen. I was so how how long did you run off of this uh, Nissan this junkyard Nissan Leaf? Oh, I mean that pilot lasted six months. They then extended for three years after that to for this mobile charging service. At that point, I said, okay, there's something here. I hired a physical an attendant, right? It was just a normal parking attendant that wanted a cooler job and got paid fifteen dollars an hour rather than twelve dollars an hour. But the uh, and they performed that service. Um, actually, and kept extending the contract up through COVID when the the campus at LinkedIn shut down. Uh, oh now gosh. that cu- customers are coming back, they want us to continue supporting that program, even though we don't sell those mobile battery systems. We don't even offer the service anymore. But <laughs> you know, when you're wow, you you're a customer. We'll, we'll continue doing it for you. Oh my gosh! Wait, so I have to ask, what like what was the why mobile batteries though? Like, was the was it? to you know there wasn't the infrastructure like in each parking spot or something to like get uh charge like would you like go back to a central hub and like charge the moving battery mm-hmm. and then like move it what what was like the the kind of problem to be solved with the with the mobile battery yeah just to make you feel even even more bad for me um i <laughs> yes i had a box truck that i rented a 27 footer and i would put these on the on the lift put them in the back of the box truck bring them back to a kind of a central warehouse area that had, you know, just outlets, power, you know, 240 volt infrastructure, uh, plug them in overnight, charge them and rinse and repeat every day. I would wake up at 6.30 every morning, uh, get to this facility, load them onto a box truck, drive down to Sunnyvale, unload them, charge cars all day, load them back, back to the <laughs> warehouse, get home around 8, 8.30 at night every single day. Every you know, Reed, oh Reed Hoffman says in the early days of a company, you should do the things that don't scale. And it seems like <laughs> yep. you, re- you really embraced that. You really that. leaned into that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take that to new heights, yeah. yeah. Um, That's no, it's cool too. Like, uh, you know, Sam, who we just spoke to from from Impulse Labs, um, he got derpilled on the solar car team, building mm. his own battery packs as well. So. I don't know. I know, I know VCs talk about like founder market fit of like actually building, like actually building battery packs and like understanding the challenges there. And, and far, as far as like going out and building new hardware, like, uh, you know, EV charging infrastructure with embedded batteries, like feels, uh, very connected there between you and Sam. So I don't know. That's, a. um, I guess you, you guys are in good company as far as, as far as that, uh, that trend, I guess. Yeah. Um, and you asked but, uh, earlier why why battery? You know, why why not just so I mean it was interesting back Yeah, like an 20- extension cord, like is that did any <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. uh yeah, I mean if you remember back in 2014, I mean there weren't not really EVs on the streets of New York or London or or even downtown San Francisco. But if you drove down to Mountain View and Sunnyvale to Google's campus and LinkedIn's campus, you saw four hundred of them at a time. It was just, it was unbelievable. And, you know, and probably anybody outside of the Bay would think that it was a bubble, but, you know, you, I, I felt something different at that point. And they, these companies were having trouble deploying chargers to every single spot. They would get further and further on the parking lot. They ran out of uh, utility infrastructure on these sites. And 
even back in 2014, 2015, EV charging was the highest consumer power and energy at these corporate campuses. So it was a microcosm of the problem that would eventually exist, even though these cars only charged at six yeah. kilowatts peak, the mm-hmm. microcosm had already kind of taken hold. And I said, how do we blanket this entire parking lot with charging? I don't think we can do it with traditional utility infrastructure. It didn't seem yeah, more, more copper is not the answer. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't seem like the well, right and answer. Also like building codes at the time where you have to have all of that load, right? You have to have. Yeah. yeah. There was, there was no smart charging. KW times the number of parking mm-hmm. spots you have. Yeah. It's, it's what's the, uh, what's the label on the side of machines say? And if it says six yeah. kilowatts, you need six times a hundred, 600 kilowatts. These sites just didn't yeah. have the power. It was, it was just that simple. Wow. That is a wild theme that we I'm I'm sure we'll come back to. Um, yeah, like but that's, for now. That's a... <laughs> so anyway, wrapping this up, your your answer to when did you first get derpilled was when I invented free wire technologies, which is <laughs> the most confident founder answer we've had yet. I yeah, but that. when was there anything before that? Like, how did you even know? Was it like uh, you know you saw the six times a hundred problem? Like, there's no way this is going to scale or work. And then you went out and found like a Nissan Leaf and you said you're a gearhead, but was there like an interest in batteries and DERs, even if you knew they were, didn't know they were called that prior to that? Or I knew literally nothing about batteries at the time. I, <laughs> you that, just that, saw the honestly, problem I, I, and were like, I, I, I can fix this. I, I, I am, I'm absolutely serious. I'm not an electrical engineer by background, even though I can talk electrical engineering all day after having done this for nine years. Uh, but the only thing I knew about batteries is that I could put two of my in my remote control and it ch- you know changes the channel <laughs> on my TV. But, That's amazing. but there's but you know, you kind of have to understand where I came from. And I'll give you a little bit of a story. I think it'll be interesting. I um so I'm an immigrant. I moved to the US in 91. You could tell by my thick accent here. And um, <laughs> but I, you know, I was five years old. I immigrated from the Soviet Union. I I was born and lived right outside of uh Chernobyl, and I was born right after um chernobyl exploded april 26 86 i was born june 13 86 my mom was seven months pregnant with me when the power plant exploded we were 85 kilometers due east of the power plant and so all of a sudden we went from not knowing much about energy to knowing quite a lot and um so that was always in the back of my mind. We always had that conversation. We experienced a disaster and wow. and and we grew up with that. But then when we got to the US, we were the typical immigrant family, very poor, uh, struggling. My parents had, a, had an incredible focus on education, as a lot of immigrant parents do. Um, but they had, you know, reasonably good careers back in the Soviet Union and in, in Ukraine at the time is where we lived. Uh, but my dad got here and he started driving a cab in New York City. So um, we lived in New York for a couple of years. We moved to Boston eventually, and he drove that cab for 26 years. And so very stoic individual, as you can imagine. Uh, and our relationship, my father and I, was really around working on cars. Um, and so mm. I remember I did my first um, transmission swap on his crown victoria at seven years old and i did my first engine i had a cherry picker in the house i did my first engine swap at 11 and (laughs) oh my god so 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 are you on like the dark side now it's like you're in the evs (laughs) and stuff like are are you is your family and your old friends like come on man what are you doing are they just like you're still doing cars so it's cool you're still doing cars And, and they think it's cooler now I mean, okay. EVs are pretty cool. They're fast. And so yeah. that, that that gets the gearhead in me going. 
I just got my Rivian truck last week. Ooh, nice. Wow. What do you call um, a gearhead when there's no more gears anymore? I know, it's it's weird, right? It's like a uh, cathode head or like, I mean, it's like. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> cathode head. Um, but I just, I just got this truck. I, you know, people are, you know, they find it hilarious. I live in San Francisco and I, I love trucks. I've, I've had an F-150. I had a Ford Ranger in the past. And now I have this Rivian it's it's got the truck person in me going but it's really fast really smooth really quiet i love everything about it um so i'm always going to be a gearhead i will always have a maybe a vintage con, you know combustion vehicle to the side but listen evs that's are what, good for night that's what everyone people. admits on the yeah. podcast yeah. you know sam yeah. he does induction stoves he does he does some charcoal grilling in the backyard still you know yeah. probably always will it's like you make uh EV charging, but you still got to pull the tarp off and like get the stick shift out every once in a while and take it for, <laughs> take it for a drive. Um, oh, I'll tell you my most disappointing kind of experience was I, I also ride motorcycles and I got uh, an electric motorcycle, a Bramo impulse. If you remember. Oh Bramo. yeah. And I got, that was, this was that the Bramo? Was that what company was that? It was that wasn't related to Buell, right? They were sold to Polaris. Okay, that's right. And and so there was a guy I found a Bramo, James. You know, he named the company after himself. Uh, the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, not David. <laughs> the uh, so he built this motorcycle, and I got it because it was the only electric motorcycle with a six-speed transmission. Ooh, and I thought to myself, Okay, okay, I'm not quite mm. ready, but this is the perfect, you know, kind of combination of things. It was the worst experience of my life. And be, because you could, you could go start from, you know, going uphill at two miles an hour in sixth gear, you can be on the highway going 80 miles an hour in first gear. It just so, doesn't matter. It's pointless. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's pretty funny. Wait. So what? Okay. One, we got to do one last year. Uh, so we, we interviewed uh, Ari Matusiak of uh, Rewiring America and talked about what, what gas car you would love to do an EV conversion to, which is a <laughs> loaded question. Yeah, There's you guys got to team up because that. that's he wants to have like an e, a gas to EV chop shop. Like that's his retirement plan. So, yeah, um, that's so, my vote would be, and that, this actually exists. I just can't afford it. It's a Land Rover Defender. Ooh, the, cool. Yeah, nice. my CFO. Uh, he has this amazing, amazing defender. This thing is loud and it hurts your kidneys when you, when you ride in it and uh, every, it's, but, uh, but you, you do an electric conversion on that thing. And and I think company in the, a company in the UK does it. They just I think I've seen one. Penny. Yeah. I saw someone, one was like raffled off or something. I forget what, but there was a contest or something. Yeah. That's cool. Okay, would he would he do would he do that or would he would he you know would he find it like blasphemous to he is crazy enough he's looked into it and he would absolutely do it you guys should call ari man well can i you guys this is like a, a project a weekend well, yeah. uh dr task force project we can all you know get around and and I, know where, I, I know where to but find we're the not providing pack. the insurance yeah. if it goes wrong <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah I forget, no. <laughs> I forget what Ari's answer was, but he took an approach where he was like a, car, a beautiful car that had a terrible powertrain. That was his like what he selected. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, cool. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna move on. We're very far behind. <laughs> um, okay, so what about? I have a feeling I might know the answer. 
What is your favorite DER? Mm. It would be wrong to say batteries. I mean, it's the thing. It's it's the glue around you know around solar around wind. You have to sort of pair batteries and storage with everything. It holds it all together, and and we just don't have enough of that out there. Yeah, you know, so solar is pretty. I mean, it it's really penetrated the market and, and it's it's growing like rapidly. But batteries are just, you know, there's a it's it's tough to deploy. There's a lot of policy and regulation that are preventing rapid deployment. It's hard for a lot of site owners who would even think about installing storage to understand what demand charges look like, what their utility rate tariffs look like, what interconnection rules are. I can barely understand those, although I'm happy to have a conversation about them. Um, but storage ties it all together. Yeah. And I've been waiting favorite. for someone to say that. I feel like it's like the, you know, if you're asked your favorite artist, you can't say like the big pop star or something like yeah. that. It doesn't sound everybody cool, tries but... to be a hipster. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's my favorite DER. And I think I I mean I always say it's like it was like coal and the steam engine and then like petroleum and the internal combustion engine. And then there's like electricity and the, I know lithium ion batteries aren't like the motor, like that's like DC and AC motors, but it feels like kind of the motor of yeah. this like next phase of energy transition that we're in. And I don't know, people are like still sleeping on it's weirdly like underrated. I think it's like the one it's like, it's what's changing everything, you know? Don't you find it crazy that the utilities have to generate energy to meet peak demands and in they real time. in real time and they can't really turn it down too much or else it's not efficient or they can't turn it back on in time. Yep. And so they just have to keep generating curtailing. That seems is, a bit crazy to me. It is wild. Like I think I think about this a lot. Like sometimes I'm just like, it's all real time. <laughs> and i yeah delivered and i just yeah. like sit there being like what yeah. like but how so, <laughs> yeah it's yeah just, like, it's like so the only commodity to like that too it's that insane we're, like just yeah, in time how we do it just in time james with the like, with the name man like and you know we're talking about company names like david james but free wire i think i think we're probably gonna get along i don't know how much you know about how i rant about franchise rights and stuff but i i think we're gonna get into that <laughs> deeper into the podcast so <laughs> um I, I love the name but uh I, I think we're gonna be kindred spirits on some of this stuff to your point james i do think it's interesting like i think the reason people do continue to underweight it is Right. Historically, you have, say, the gas tank and the the internal combustion engine or the motor. Um, and it was always about improving the motor. Right. Like the tank is a tank, whatever. Uh, versus today, we, we have 90 percent plus efficient electric motors. We have super. Yeah, we've had them for a while, motors. too. It's you know, there's there's still in a cool innovation to happen there. But like the 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 space for like breakthrough is kind of yeah. not is that whatever, you know. Um, and it's all about the gas tank now, right? So I think it's just really hard for people to kind of like make that 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 yeah. flip. But it has huge implications. Uh, around not to mention, yeah, and everything, yeah, a hundred percent. And like, not to mention too. It's I know it's kind of unrelated, but like your computer in your pocket, like you can only have so much processing power because of the freaking battery. You know, it's like you couldn't have done that with like the cadmium or whatever the hell we were using. Remember where if you like didn't charge it all the way, it like remember it like 
yeah cost capacity like that doesn't work in like the smartphone era. Yeah, i remember you'd google like how to fix that and they'd be like freeze it yeah. like what and they yeah, put it in the freezer that'll help yeah okay um all right so next intro question what do you enjoy doing outside of freewire i mentioned a few things already i mean i ride motorcycles um i love working on cars sometimes i'll just go out there on a saturday or sunday and wash my car I know it's it's, it's, <laughs> it's cathartic. Um, it's uh, calms me down, relaxes me a little bit. I play video games too, um, which uh, is might be weird for you know the CEO of a very large and growing company, but it's just something to relax and turn my brain off for a little while. But uh, here in the Bay Area, you go for a ride on Skyline Boulevard down to Alice's Cafe, and uh, it is just so gorgeous and beautiful and you get there and all of a sudden there's a bunch of other gearheads and on bikes and now more so electric vehicles, you know, guys and, you know, Tesla model Y's and model threes are doing that run and just having that conversation, eating a burger and drinking a beer is, is just amazing to me. Nice. What do you, what do you ride right now? Ducati Diavel. That's yeah, cool. That's, nice. yeah. that's a big motor. What uh? What do you? What That's do you like, say? I have no. I have no idea. I'm, I'm gonna <laughs> opt out of this part of the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> what do you? What do you say? You what do you say to the to the you know the fellow gearheads out there? Because there is, I don't know, like my brother. You know, he drives like a 2003 M3 or something, and he's like, bro, I know, like you work in this whole like electrification industry, but like I'm never, I'm never giving up my like stick shift gas cars. Um, do you have uh? Anything like, I don't know. What do you think about that kind of perspective on thing? That just like the nostalgia value, I guess, of of bikes and and cars. Like, sounds like I, you like both, but yeah. I don't know. I I think I would tell him. Uh, you remember the original Fast and the Furious, where there it's that race in the in the very beginning, and he's got this computer open next to him, and it says manifold pressure too high. And the whole floorboard falls out, and there's smoke. Every- that would never yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah. That's what I tell him. You can, no, he you doesn't do- care. I'm like, I'm gonna get a truck and absolutely smoke you in a drag race, and he's like, I don't care. It's like I just love how this feels. I mean, it, it, isn't isn't the real reason the real answer? Like, it doesn't matter. Everyone who just wants a car that gets them from one place to another is gonna get an EV. Like, you can have your 2003 M3. It's fine. Yeah, absolutely. It's absolutely fine. You can have it for the vast majority of people. EVs are just better. It's cheaper to run. It's quieter. You know, when you, you, you don't realize I I had this really just incredible experience. You know, I told you about my father, a taxi driver. I was in a a cab, a black cab in uh, London and I was, you know, going to a meeting and, and I just started talking to the guy because I love talking to taxi drivers and I t- and he was driving one of those London Electric Vehicle Company LEVC cabs. Mm. Uh, it's a subsidiary of the G Leaf. Interestingly enough, the he was driving this thing, and I said, "How do you like it?" And he goes, "Listen, this is you know, it's it yeah, it's lower cost. Yeah, I spend a little bit more time charging it. Uh, but the big difference is that when I get home, I'm not tired." And I go, "What do you mean?" And he goes, "Those old diesel black cabs, they vibrated, and they were vibrating yeah. all day." And I'd get home after driving 10 or 12 hours and I would be physically exhausted. That's oh and gosh. now I get home and I feel fine. And I can, wow. you know, wow. I, it, it, that that to me just changed everything. Yeah, That's wild. I, I recently asked an Amazon driver about the new Rivian 
vans that they're driving in certain locations in a very similar comment. They're just like, it's such a nice ride quality. Like, it just feels so much better to drive this. And do you know how much of our economy is built on just people driving? (laughs) Probably a lot. (laughs) (laughs) That's how we get all of our stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, cool. Um, all right, we've got two more two more intro questions. All right, so the year is like 2050. Freewire is amazingly successful and you don't really have to do anything anymore. So it's time to like think of your uh, your sort of like fun retirement job. What is it? Um, all 50 states in an RV. I cannot wait. Yeah, no job. <laughs> no job, yeah. I can't wait to be that, that yuppie with an electric truck, an electric RV from Airstream, have my Starlink satellite on top and just <laughs> driving throughout all parts of the country. I want to see all the great football games. I want to see Bedlam. You know, I want to see the that whiteout at Penn State. I want to see the Iron Bowl. And I just want to go around the country, seeing all the sites, visiting all the college football games. That's, I mean, that would be with a dog, with a mountain bike. That, that's my dream. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. That Awesome. I and very specific. I love that. You're like, this is this is where we're headed. <laughs> I thought about this before. That's great. I did an RV you know trip through uh Arizona during COVID, actually. I, I I rented an RV from Vegas, took it down to to Phoenix, Scottsdale area, and all the way back, all the way up to Utah and back to California. I've got to say those two weeks were just some of the best experiences of my life. That sounds amazing. Growing I up, it. I wanted to live in an RV. That was like my life goal. I now hate driving, so <laughs> that life goal has changed. But, <laughs> but I just think I don't know, commune like, RV maybe. In, you know, yeah. If I don't have to drive, I'm I'm down. Yeah, I'm down yeah. to just like roam around, see the yeah, that, you know, that's it's an what, EV, so it doesn't like vibrate and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, what that's your son's for. Space. Seneca drives. You know, yeah, he drives exactly. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what that weirdly just made me think of is like. Uh, the irrational fear as a kid because like some adult told me sometime of like crack the window when the car's on if you're like just need you're like chilling in your car Mm -hmm. because of like carbon monoxide and always being like terrified about that but that's like not no one will understand like the next generation will not understand that it's like or like okay i don't want to do that so i'm just gonna like turn it to you know battery and that'll drain the battery like you know you're, you're you're fine you can just sit idling in your rv you know chilling music in blasting, a garage ac on in a garage you're not gonna die that's a good that's a that's a <laughs> sneaky benefit of, of of uh evs you remember you ever been to a drive-in yeah and oh, yeah. uh we used to have a drive-in movie theater outside of boston and we went to and invariably there'll be four or five cars that just the battery's dead. They don't start. And there'll be a guy who knows it. And he's, he's just waiting at the end of the movie and he's making a hundred bucks on each person. Yeah, you just, you just <laughs> give them a Jack. That's you know, awesome. Uh, uh, yeah. So funny. Cool. Okay. Last, last, uh, intro, intro question. I'm starting to think this one's a little aggressive, but, but I like it anyway. Um, what is your hottest energy take hot take? Um, this is going to be an interesting one. So I think the oil and gas companies and the utilities are currently in a cold war and Mm. the market and, um, you know, analysts have not recognized it yet. So think of it, think of it this way. 
You, is this for well, EV specifically? Yeah, it's EV specifically. And, and sp- actually, more specifically, it's around the sale of a commodity. You know, James said earlier that they're selling commodities now. Electrons are commodities. Guess what? They've been, oil and gas companies have been selling commodities for 100 years and doing a damn good job at it. They, but they own everything upstream and downstream. So, ex- uh, you know, exploration, extraction, refining, and then distribution and sale to you, the end consumer, of hydrocarbons. It's a commodity. And it, they're able to make super normal profits because they can market this commodity. They can sell you goods and services like car washes, candy bars, coffees, capture your other share of wallet. And they're controlling all of their supply and those costs around the supply. Now they're starting to sell a new commodity, which is an electron, but they don't control upstream. The oil and gas players don't control upstream. Mm -hmm. They're beholden to utilities. And these utilities are, are fragmented and slow and bureaucratic and rate structures only change once every five years. And in, when you are in a deregulated market, which sounds great, all of a sudden you have huge spikes in pricing, like we saw in Texas, like we saw recently in the, in the UK and in most parts of Europe. And the oil and gas players are afraid of this. They're afraid that if they're going to try to sell this commodity and build a business around it, that these fluctuations in pricing and not being able to control upstream supply, it, they're invariably going to degrade and destroy these businesses over time. So I see a Cold War happening where the oil and gas players are now starting to go further and further upstream. You saw Shell buy a company called First Utility in the UK. Mm-hmm. You saw BP announce a solar developer called LightSource. And I think you're going to see more and more and more of these, these um, you know, uh, developments in the industry. And the oil and gas players just going in there and trying to take over that entire upstream and downstream business. And I frankly think they're going to win because there's a handful of these super majors, whereas there's what, 3,500 utilities Mm. in the U S that's my hot take. Wow. That's that's interesting. Yeah. We could spend a lot of time on this one. How would you see, how do you think like an NRG or like an incumbent power player plays into that? Like, are they asleep at the wheel or, um, cause they don't want the oil and gas. I'm sure, you know, energy and Vistra are like watching what shell is trying to do in Texas. Like no way they own, uh, and manage, I think like 80% of the upstream. So, mm-hmm. I mean, renewables are kind of a threat to those, those players. Cause they're not building as much as them as say like the insurgents, I guess you could call them. But, um, do you see the like existing generation owners is like trying to go more, in the other direction of like downstream, like demand side, DER side, or, or, uh, um, mainly just like between, uh, the oil majors and, and the utilities, I guess, I guess it depends what state you're in, I guess, too. It does. I, I think the utilities are, are certainly not as big as oil and gas companies in, in most markets. Uh, but just look at the stance they take. You said it yourself to a utility. Everything is a threat. And when everything's a threat, your business is going to be destroyed over time. But to an oil and gas player, you would think EV is a threat, but they've embraced it as an opportunity. And they're spending capital around it and they're building business models around it. Are they going to be successful? Yet, you know, time will tell. I, I don't know that a gas station is long-term the right place for us to get charging at, at yeah. scale. But, um, but they're certainly thinking a little bit more holistically about it, whereas the utilities, in my experience, are trying to get their regulators and their PUCs to protect them. That's never a winning strategy. Mm. Yeah. 
something I'm really curious about, though, with the the oil and gas like super major strategy of like trying to go upstream and actually control supply, like they do in the legacy market, is there's this great book by uh, Hamilton Helmer called The Seven Powers, and it like yeah, it you know the one where there's like basically like seven like defensible sort of powers in business, right? Um, and forever, the oil and gas power has been cornered resource, right? There's this extremely valuable, extremely concentrated resource. And if you can get control over it, the rest works out basically, right? Um, it's just so not the case in the future of large-scale energy production. Like even forget DERs and stuff, just utility-scale solar and wind, it's everywhere. Uh, mm -hmm. Some future, you know, small modular reactors, you can put them anywhere, right? Like there's, they're uncornerable, right? And so who is best suited to dominate in that world? Landowners, I guess, but I don't know if it's like existing landowner, you know what I mean? Like I, it, it's hard for me to see how like the, the might and weight of the super majors lends itself to this future. Um, yeah. That's yeah. my, that's my yeah. gut. That's my, that's intuition. your, that's your counter hot take. Yeah, you're you're, like cool you're right that energy no, is not a cornered resource. I mean, there's we have the sun all around us. We have the abundant energy. It's harnessing and collecting it and storing it. That's, but even that's not going to be as cornered of a resource as again exploration and extraction, which are hugely capital intensive businesses. Uh -huh. So, what? But I think your your point was right. It is the landowners or the site hosts because the business has to has to turn into a capture your a share of your wallet type of business. So the marginal cost of of energy I think will go down to zero. It'll be asymptotic. but it's going to be it's going to near zero. And and so what do you do then? Okay, you know, you have to capture the rest of the share of wallet of consumers who need that energy from you if they can't generate it themselves and and I think that people that are going to provide you valuable goods and services that you want, whether you, you know, charging while you're at the gym or the, the best cup of coffee you can get, they're going to be the ones that win. And historically, the oil and gas players have not provided you a really compelling product outside of gas. You needed gas. And so you happen to go into a convenience store and buy yourself, you know, a beef jerky and a hot dog and a Coca-Cola, but you don't really want that ahead of a cup of coffee at Starbucks. So yeah, the offering yeah. has to get much better. Yeah. It's interesting. Really interesting. My counter counter, my counter to the counter to the hot take is it's actually network effects in the future of, uh, you know, the distributed grid, but mm. we can, you know, we, we can unpack that like, one later. Yeah. I was like, it's interesting to think about though, like oil and gas majors, like being, almost like on the side of the end users because they're like also going against the utility. So it's like you could end up like seeing like really strong lobbying against the utility from the oil and gas majors, even if they don't end wow. up with like quite the same result that they want, they like are kind of on the other side, which I think yeah. is, is interesting. Yeah. Um, Cause they are going to be, yeah, not wanting those regulations. They might actually have the power yeah. to like, change some things more than the average person yeah hmm. okay Please. things to think okay. about <laughs> Interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, the enemy of my the enemy is my friend. Is, is exactly, yeah. I'm, it's like one of those. Like, one of those, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. me a tough pill for me to swallow, but we'll see. You know, yeah. it's a it's a it's a Sun Tzu <laughs> thing. Yeah. Okay. Um. All right. Let's let's dive into into FreeWire. First, let's just start with what is your core technology? What does FreeWire build and sell? Uh, it shouldn't surprise you that it's it it's around batteries. Uh, the, so what we're doing is solving what we believe is the biggest pain point within the world of charging infrastructure, which we've just talked about its utility infrastructure. You know, I, I fundamentally believe in a future where we have ubiquitous fast and ultra fast charging, where every convenience store, every quick service restaurant, every supermarket you go to there, there are chargers there for you to use and they're fast and they're convenient and they're efficient, but these sites don't have the necessary utility infrastructure for high power charging. You're talking about a gas station or a convenience store that may have 50 kilowatts of service. And that's enough to power the lights and the cash register and the, and the pumps and the refrigeration, but certainly not enough for a, at least one 150 kilowatt, which I consider kind of the basis for ultra fast, 150 kilowatt ultra fast charger. And it takes, if you were to upgrade utility service on that site, you're going to wait 12 to 8. 24 months in some cases. It's what I call cops and cones. You know, you're hiring off-duty police officers putting cones down the streets and and it's a public works project. Yeah. And that's tough. And once you do get that service to the site, if you're lucky enough that the substation has enough capacity for that them to bring you that service, then you're looking at putting down a new transformer, switch gear, a new panel, and connecting all of those systems underground. So it's a, it's quite a complex project. And I just don't see this happening on every commercial, every retail site. It's certainly not happening fast enough today. So again, back to that story of battery supplanting utility infrastructure, we developed this product called the Boost Charger. It's an ultra fast charger, 200 kilowatts of output to your car, but the grid connection is a 240 split phase or 2083 phase, 403 phase for Europe, but it's a 22 kilowatt grid connection. So that ratio is about 10 to one. Wow. And we packaged a battery inside that acts as a buffer. It's you know, simply put, it's like a hot water tank in your house. You know, you store the hot water, you have, it's enough for your family to take hot showers, but you don't need to create that hot water tank and that hot water in real time. Yeah. I mean, I have so many questions off that, um, but uh, I guess maybe the first and, and um, most obvious one is just like, if you're leveraging a 22 kilowatt, um, you know, grid tie to get to 200 kW potential output on the charging, like what's the actual kind of throughput on how many like is there a decreased throughput on how many cars you can charge in a day compared to like maybe a standard dc fast charger and in, interconnection or yeah. um like you you clearly you obviously have to like charge that battery back up before you maybe charge the next car so like what's the kind of power versus energy dynamic i guess yeah that's a fundamental trade-off you're making you're making the trade-off of throughput for lower yeah. capex costs, lower mm -hmm. opex costs. And right. I'll talk to you about all those value props later and much faster install time. So did we size it appropriately for the vast majority, the two standard deviations of use cases that are out there in the, in the field? And what we found is that if you are a, a fleet customer, and we have lots of light duty fleet customers, and you can really efficiently route your vehicles, we can tell you which chargers for them to go to, you know exactly when to bring them back. They're not leaving with more than 80% state of charge in the vehicle because you're not going to wait for that. 
mm-hmm. you're coming in and you're not empty, you're probably at 20%. If you have all of these right characteristics, you can do about 20 charging sessions in a day on each charger. But, but in real world, in practice, nothing's that eff- efficient, right? And in public, you see we are getting about 10 to 15 charging sessions a day before we really risk the battery draining to zero. And we've yes. done statistical analysis of this over, we deployed our first of these generation of chargers in August of 2020. So now we have, you know, two and a half years worth of data, roughly. We And we did a statistical analysis of all the charging sessions that happened, all the makes and model of vehicles. And we found that at 11 charging sessions a day, you have a 1% statistical probability of running out of capacity in the battery. So is that site host willing to accept that risk in exchange for the lower cost that they incurred on installing their infrastructure. And so that's the technical answer for it. I can dive deeper into that. From a business model perspective, when you're at about six to eight charging sessions a day, and I say six to eight because of utility rate tariffs, they're the biggest driver here. On, but when you're about six to eight charging sessions a day, you're, that charger will show you about 15% IRR over five years. That's a really wow. good project. I'll take 15% That's all great. day, every day. So you're incented that once you get to that higher utilization, you're then incented to install a second charger. Then utilization rises again, you install a third charger. So you're allowing the site host to time their CapEx and juice their returns rather than, you know, uh, companies like EA and EVGo, who I respect, but they have to install big utility infrastructure then you're, they want to put in eight to 10 charging sessions at a time, eight to 10 charging stations at a time to amortize the cost of that utility infrastructure across those charging stations. Mm-hmm. And they just, signed, see... they just signed a lease with the, with the site owner for yeah. the whole p- plot of parking spaces that they're going to use. Yeah. Yeah. But, but they're not going to get eight times the utilization just because they installed eight chargers. Oh man. And, and so their returns are, won't look as good versus a site host that's installing their capex critical just in time as calling yeah. earlier <laughs> and they're able to juice their return so first you have to you have to make sure the business model for the site host the retailer works and then they'll be incented to install more chargers and if you're and and you know these these procurement managers and these 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 business analysts at these large companies if they install eight chargers but the utilization is not there they come back in a year to their CFO and they say, I want to install my next bank of charges. The answer is a big fat no. Yeah. But if they installed one or two and said, I max out on utilization, this thing's generating 15 to 20% IRR. I need to install another two to three stations. That CFO immediately says yes. Man, I have always wondered that. Like taking almost like the the like lean startup approach, I guess, if you're familiar to to how like software products are built. I look around at like a lot of the charging infrastructure being built and like just anecdotally, like whenever I drive by, like those things are not, I've seen like two times out of a hundred that they're full. <laughs> and so I'm like, to what extent are we sort of imagining? It almost feels like we we can't break like the existing paradigm of how people use their cars. And you even brought this up. Like we go to a gas station right now and we go and we fill up and then we go on with our days. But like, with how ubiquitous the grid is compared to like uh, burying gas tanks or whatever, building gas, gas station infrastructure, like how the oil and gas majors do it. um, It may be that you can just like plug your car in anywhere in in a sense. So 
Um, but it feels like we're building the infrastructure, almost like thinking about how we char, like how we fill up gas cars compared to electric vehicles and not thinking about like the behavior change there in a way. And I guess it's connecting those two points, like the ability to kind of add CapEx in a modular way, like based on actual, Hey, like, am I getting the utilization I expected as opposed to this just like almost like big company mentality of like, let's build this massive utility project, put it out there. It's going to take two years to build and like hope the customers come instead of like this, like iterative approach. Um, but you can't I mean, do I don't... the iterative approach without batteries, right? Like that's the whole right. reason that these make ready programs exist is because it's such an expensive initial CapEx to do and to even do two that you're like, well, if we're going to do two, we might as well might do as well. eight. Right. Or at least like build out the infrastructure for eight because it is this really capital intensive project and like the building codes aren't there to allow for that and the utility code like the utility regulations aren't there to allow for that. And so there's like all these things that sort of force people into it, I think, because yeah. there's not really a better way. Um, except for Freewire was like, we're just gonna reject the premise that there's not a better way and like figure <laughs> out a, a different way, which I think is great. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm going to move it. that card around myself. I'm going to distribute yeah. the batteries myself. <laughs> yeah, but but you know, no, you're absolutely right, Colleen. You're incented based on existing infrastructure and the rules right. around it to install lots of chargers, but the utilization is not quite there and, and your business model doesn't look great. And I'll right. blow your mind a little bit, James, and I'll give you a great analogy. The people think, oh, there's 10 gas pumps at this gas station. Why, you should put 10 chargers. No, there, there's one tank. Right. And if you yeah, have yeah, enough yeah, throughput, right, right. yes, you're also yes. running out of gas. Yes. The, we did exactly what the gas companies and the gas stations have done for hundreds of years. We you built a tank. tank. Yeah. We built yeah. a tank. Yeah. Yeah. And how you do you argue I mean, about, about what the size of that tank should be? I'm happy right. to have that argument. Right. It's the same thesis. Well, that's yeah. what, that's kind of what I was going to like kind of follow on with is like you have when you build that iter of like, okay, let's add another charger and then another charger at any point in that process, do you have to scale the interconnection? And also like, when is actually the break even to say, you know what, we, we should just like lay down a mega pack and then like a line of chargers, which is maybe like you could mm -hmm. see Tesla kind of figuring that out, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, yes. I guess the trade-off between like do you eventually need to size up the interconnection and also like why not then just build a big battery at, at the at the outset to like lower that interconnection size yeah you absolutely have to size up the interconnection at some point you just do it later and you're yeah. sizing it up less than you otherwise would have but of course most sites we found i can install two of my chargers with with no upgrades to the transformer yeah. i sometimes do have to upgrade the panel but very rarely do i have to upgrade the transformer when you're and your point about having this large central battery with a bunch of dispensers next to it, that is the right solution and more cost effective when you get to about six to eight chargers again mm, on a site. But then what you have to consider is, do you believe in a future in which there are large greenfield sites with lots of chargers? Or do you believe in a future where it's brownfield sites? gas stations, just convenience stores, chargers retail. dotted all over the place. Yeah. Right. Yeah. These, these sites are, they have 20 parking spaces if they're lucky today and they're not going to give up eight or 10 or sometimes 12 spots today for charging. That's just a non-starter for these, for these yeah. companies. Mega pack. That's <laughs> like yeah. several yeah. parking spaces. And so yeah. I, I guess this goes back to something you said, I think before we started officially recording on like, 
your product being particularly good for cities and rural areas. So can we yeah. talk, come back to that? Cause that yeah. again, feels like cities are like, you have like these baby parking lots, right? Where there's like four spots in front of a laundromat yeah. on my street. Yeah. Always, so, always people park there. Seems like a yeah. great spot for it. I'll, I mean, I'll start with the obvious one, rural areas. And you know, when you, when you see the NEVI funding that just came out, we need to infill the highways with charging infrastructure. But some of these locations, these rest stops are 20 miles away from a substation. And, and to run that high power infrastructure, that land, I mean, you're talking about tens of millions of dollars. So it, the, the economics will never pencil out. Now, of course, there's money to pay for it, the U.S. government, put, but we should be thinking about how to use that money most cost effectively to deploy more chargers mm-hmm. rather than, than what's the way that I can just pull all that power out to one site and blow yeah. through my budget. So that's the rural areas. This makes a lot of sense. I, you know, I think you'll all agree with that. The dense urban areas, to your point, very hard also to get utility infrastructure because there's lots of towers and buildings around. They're already using high power. They're, the substations are are at 80% plus of their capacity. Labor the lines, the lines are, are often high. buried as well. So doing yeah. anything is super intensive. Yeah. DOT yeah. dug the road up a month ago and now you can't do it for another year and a half. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, <laughs> yeah. And and the parking the, the parking situation is is so tight. And so even if you were willing to upgrade your transformer, that new transformer might take up more space and you just don't have it. So you know, we we tend to see really good and and really good uh, uptake in these rural areas and in dense urban areas, mm-hmm. um, or you know any site that has limited space um, that want to you know time the the spending on their capex a little bit more effectively. And frankly, when you see the business model, when you when you actually put this down in Excel and and the folks that we sell to, they live in Excel. They they yeah. get yeah. TCO, they get yeah. IRRs. You know. Uh, it it just makes a lot of sense. So in in the case where in the sort of end state of EV charging or the steady state, I guess, um, if there ever is a site where it does make sense for like 20 DCFC chargers to be right next to each other, you're saying like, that's maybe not free wires sort of like core space. Cause maybe at that point that probably yeah. suggests you're in a suburban area that probably suggests you could just drop down a ISO container full of batteries yeah, just plug some stuff into a rectifier. You're done. Yeah, um, that's that's not our focus today. And, and um, yeah, exactly. That would be a, a Tesla who installs a bunch of stations with a mega pack next to it. That would be traditional charging infrastructure, battery uh, with paired with batteries or not, which is yeah, no. could work for both locations. Yeah. That, that doesn't mean we're standing still and we're never going to have a product for that. You know, is it? But is the thing you have that's like a... really differentiated that no one else can do right now is, is what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like if you're selling to like a rest stop on I-95 or something, like maybe the bigger many location model works if like those parking lots are massive and like full all the time. But um, or I don't know, maybe you guys like kind of sell there too, but um, uh, it seems like units at rest stops on i 95 So <laughs> we've done it. Yeah, nice, yeah. <laughs> we, um, <laughs> we, we have done it, but you're right. I mean, it's wh- wh- where is your power? That that's going to be the first yeah. thing that you look yeah. at. If your power is too far away and you don't, it, you can't get it. It's then it's a simple answer. So, so in those cases where um, you know it's a it's a good market fit for pr- free wire for free wire, 
Um, when we consider, like when we look at the project, I'm the project manager trying to procure some EV charging for my whatever site. Um, I look at the upgrade my service and get a normal EV charger versus get a free wire charger, right? Don't have to upgrade my service. More often than not, the free wire option is actually the cheaper all-in option. I imagine it's much faster and easier and like more sort of like there's less risk, but it's actually cheaper as well. Yeah, so the CapEx... And, and maybe this is selection bias because if a customer's come to us and we're starting to assess their site where there's already some understanding that it'll likely be cheaper. So I, I, I granted, there could certainly be selection bias here, but in most of the sites that we go to, um, we find that our CapEx is about 20% lower cost than a competing solution. And that does, that's not to say our charger is less expensive. Our charger is obviously more expensive because we have a battery sure. in it. Sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so our charge but is the about the fully 50. loaded project cost is less. Yeah. So our, our charge is about 50% more expensive than a competing solution from an ABB or Tritium or, or, or some of our other friends in the market. Uh, but the transformer cost, you know, you're, you're looking at 50 to $100,000 for a transformer. Yeah. Colleen would know better than I do. <laughs> um, the yeah, the charger is like not the most expensive part of the yeah. Yeah, not, not to mention like 14 <laughs> months of lead time. <laughs> like 200 feet of and conduit. Like Cops and cones, man. Yeah, cops and cones. <laughs> your trenching has to go past a grocery store that like, doesn't like you, you know, like there's a lot of things, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so you standardize it. You know, we, we like to tell customers we're selling products, not projects. I don't, Love I don't it. like selling projects. It's, it's super hard. Um, you just products, struck like, a chord in Duncan's uh, heart there, by the way. Cause yeah. it, it, and it, especially in the industry, like whether it's like big nuclear or like microgrids or whatever, you know, there's a lot of like projects thinking and not like products thinking that I think constrains the industry in a lot of ways. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know, Duncan, but that's your best line. It's like, it's a, it's a good, good pro. I mean, sorry. Uh, what, what is it with nuclear that you always say? Oh, great technology, shitty product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I um, agree. <laughs> yeah, I mean, More yeah. than most, in fact. Oh, man, yeah, we're going to wait for Doper Nope to have... Yeah, yeah. About <laughs> the, we're going to yeah, come yeah. back to the Chernobyl yeah. conversation, yeah. but... Yeah. yeah. Cool, cool. Okay, so I did have on our list to ask you questions about the portable charger, but I didn't realize that was a discontinued product. I do think it's so interesting because it's like, that is the the furthest on the continuum of like build more grid grid access to use batteries to solve the problem. Like you're not even building the very, very local copper to the charger in that instance, you're just putting the battery on the wheels. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Like I'm very interested in maybe, you know, why, why you walked away from that. I, I don't know. It's just a super unique product. Yeah. And we sold a ton of them and, I think we sold them to just about every corporate campus in the Bay Area. You know, all the big tech companies, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, LinkedIn, Walmart, Adobe, Netflix. Um, they all used them. Some of them are still using them. Fleets, um, uh, like New York City Decas. And um, so we had some success with that product, certainly. But we we saw the market evolving. And we saw a shift to public charging in a way that just didn't exist before. It was corporate campuses first, it was fleets first, and then public charging just really ex exploded on the scene. And, you know, we, we, we saw that we had a compelling technology to solve it. And from a strategy perspective, you have to think about it this way, you know, FreeWire, what we're really doing is 
we're not, we're not really a charging infrastructure company. In fact, I never want to be the largest OEM of charging stations. That's, that's a job for someone like an ABB. What, what I'm doing is I'm effectively Trojan horsing a battery on a customer site. We have solved the problem of selling batteries. You know, batteries as a technology is a known problem. We all, we, there's a lot of companies that can make them, but then going to a facilities manager at a Wendy's and trying to explain to them what a demand charge is, uh, much less how to read their and understand their utility rate tariff, it just flies over their head. And, but that same person, they are getting pinged every day from their executive leadership team saying, you need to install chargers. That same person is hearing from consumers that I want charging on the site and sees all these federal tax credits and dollars signs around them, they say, I want charging. We built them a better mousetrap, something easier and faster to install. But we've effectively given them the battery for free in that in that exchange. Mm-hmm. And then we go back to the customer. We have a really consultative approach. We end up helping them understand, hey, you know, we've just, by installing this thing, we've just saved you all this money on demand charges. And what's a demand charge? Well, here, let me explain it to you. And we can actually save you more money if we're talking to your smart meter in real time via protocol called like Zigbee, in which we do, we can actually start hiding our consumption within the trough of your demand curve and save you even more money that way. Oh, that's really interesting. But how much do I need to pay for that? Well, actually, the battery is already on your site. Let's just turn it on, run it for a month if you like it. You know, you then you can start paying us for it. So it's a really effective way to sneak batteries on sites. And most people don't know this, but in most of the markets in which we've deployed, we already have the largest distributed battery in that market. For example, we just did a big deployment in Western Canada with our customer Parkwind. That is already the largest battery system, and it's distributed in Western Canada. Um, we've done deployments in states that you would never expect to see. Ba- I mean, I guarantee you we're the only battery in Spearfish, South Dakota. So, you know, there's these really yeah. interesting microcosms, but going back so to you're, the mobile you're a stationary system, storage company. We're a like, stationary storage company. Yeah. And and the mobile system, while a good application, it didn't fit within the long-term strategy of managing electrons because it mm-hmm. wasn't a reliable storage mechanism. Yeah. So if my long-term strategy is managing the flow of electrons from the utility to the site host and and shaping load profiles, the mobile battery can help with that but it's not as core to that strategy as I would have hoped. So we decided to pivot. We developed this product, yep. seen success. Nice. Man, nice. the physical atoms pivot just like puts all the like slacks, like famous pivot and like software companies to shame. I can't wait for the case studies on, on these, but that's like a wild, yeah, we're going to move from roaming batteries to like public charging that, uh, um, you know, I don't know. Kudos to that, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I want to dig into the so it's the it's the Trojan horse of stationary storage, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, something I'm really curious about is so right we have this battery which allows us to utilize a 22 kilowatt connection in a 200 kilowatt manner because of basically utilization rates and you know being smart about charging and discharging and stuff. Does and and you get this benefit of avoiding all that utility infrastructure and timelines and complication, et cetera. Um, does this, do you end up needing an interconnection for the battery as if it were just a normal stationary storage system from the utility? Great question. Great question. So um, the, the little secret is that we do have a bi-directional inverter in the product, 
but we have disabled the bidirectionality of that um, with a physical switch. So, and why? Because our one of our biggest value props to customers today is that speed of install. If we were to actually make it bidirectional, just add nine months. By default, just add yep. nine months yeah. to that. And and so I for I just want to go out there and install as many of these as possible. But the entire kind of thesis here is we will go back to some of those customers, file for interconnection requests, and then literally go out and 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 put another hardware switch in there and enable the bidirectionality wow. when we get that interconnection request. So um, everything here is about, about speed to install, get as many of these out there as possible, and then flip on energy services. And that is a big Yeah, problem. and you don't need that bidirectionality for the value prop of the product to work. It's kind of like upside, basically. It is upside. I mean, there's a, but there's a lot you can do even on unidirectional products. Sure, right? just so, manage, so, yeah, yeah, charging, load, yeah. Load management. Manage charge. Yeah, and are, are you, yeah, what are what are you doing on that front? So demand charge management inherently because of the battery. So we are yeah. so um that's what I call passive demand charge management. Um you're just you're just do, seeking basically high utilization of the 22 kilowatts. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Active demand charge management where we're uh monitoring their load profile on the convenience store or the site in real time and and again just shaping our, if, if there's if the HVAC turned on, we might turn down our consumption slightly during that period to, to try to shape that reload profile a little bit more. We, we do, um, we have a time of use scheduler built into our software platform amp and where the customer can go in and every single day of the week and every hour, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, et cetera, in every hour of the day said, I don't want to pull more than seven kilowatts from the grid um, at this point, or I don't want to put more than 20 kilowatts unless the battery, or I don't want to put more than seven kilowatts unless the battery falls below 20% mm -hmm. state of charge, right? So you can actually create, not many customers are sophisticated enough to create their own load profiles. We do that for customers a lot ourselves. Um, but another interesting thing we do, and, and this is just baseline business that I think you, Colleen, will love. We go out and we recommend certain utility rate tariffs to customers. <laughs> we go and and so so few people actually do this well. So our customers are on utility on a certain utility rate tariff have never looked at that. Don't understand what it really looks like. Now they're adding charging. All first of all, they might have heard, you know, don't be on the demand charge rate tariff. Don't be on the you know, but if you lower your demand charges, you're going to increase your energy rates. Right. Yeah. With our yeah. systems, actually, the, the the opposite. You want to we be want on the demand super, charge rate. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We want to be super high on the demand charges because you, know, yeah. you get lower energy rates. So we just take this consultative approach where we go to customers. We, hey, you should go to this based on the utilization we're seeing in this charger. You might actually save two grand a month. And yeah. and that, we, that's another thing. Yeah. It's, it's such a funny thing. We do this when we build microgrids for people. Right. It, similarly, like we. We have all this sort of inherent flexibility and and you know batteries and dispatchability, so we want to kind of look in one direction versus another. Um, and we find that no one previously has ever talked to a customer about what rate they should be on. They're often on the incorrect rate as well. Uh, that's like for a smaller size customer or a bigger size customer. It's it's kind of wild. There's all these rates out there, and they're kind of like arbitrary, and customers just kind of just do whatever the utility gives them. Like no one's yeah. ever helping them. It's wild. Yeah. 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 And we, we started playing in the grid service space as well a little bit. So we, 
um, in the California and PG&E rate territory. We're bidding a number of uh, sites, BP sites, actually, into the California's ELRP program, Emergency Load mm. Reduction Program. Yeah. Um, Those nice $2 kilowatt hour events. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. Yep. So we're expanding further and further and further. A lot more is unlocked when we go bi-directional, but there's still a lot you can do even with the unidirectional products as long as you yeah. have that storage capacity. Yeah. That's but having so that cool. physical switch is great. I love this. I've been thinking about like, <laughs> there's a, if there's a category of DERs that are doing this, you know, you guys, uh, impulse labs with the battery, uh, imp- uh battery stove, um, blip that company I love, which is kind of like a simple home battery, um, um, et cetera, where like you, no one needs to give you permission basically, right? You can, you can install this thing. You don't need a utility interconnection. You maybe don't need like the, you know, excess of kind of like consultative services, et cetera. You otherwise would, um, some of these, these home products, you don't need, uh, like professional installation because of the way it's set up. And it's just really interesting, right? Like it's, I think it's sort of the next wave for DERs where yeah. it's just the path to deployment is so much simpler and no one can like bring the crackdown on you. You know, yeah. it just, it can it, just happen. And, and there was a lot of thought put into, even on the installation process. So it, once you, if you start installing 40 volt three phase products, you, you typically need more expensive labor to go and install that it's considered high voltage or it's high enough voltage because we're putting this on 240 split phase or two way three phase oftentimes we can just hire like hvac contractors yeah right just like lower cost labor yeah. to go and put these yeah. things in the ground so you know it's all of these little incremental improvements in in trying to figure out how do you deploy this at scale very rapidly at lower cost uh, that we're all we're trying to achieve every day this is awesome. Yeah, I love it. Um, I'm just kind of reading through our questions list here. What else do we have? No, I I do. Um, you know, you mentioned this like Cold War before. I know I know you guys are are working with BP in some capacity, but um, <clears throat> yeah, do you have a perspective on how business models like yours and Blip and Impulse Labs, like for example? change the utility model say 10 15 years from now um or who ends up victorious in that cold war i guess because i think a big theme that we've always talked about on on the podcast is like how fast this transition is happening and needs to happen and like the demand for it in a lot of ways and how if you just take like the bureaucratic utility approach like it just can't move as fast as everyone is talking about it's going to and so one it's like the utility model needs to radically change to move faster or two you're literally going to build like almost like a new institution or new way of doing things completely outside of their grasp like literally on the edge of the grid um and it's encouraging to see see companies like yours doing that but I wonder if just you have like a long-term view, like 20 years from now, you know, you're doing your RV trips, you're, you're retired. Uh, like what, is there like a new utility like that you envision or, or what's changed about how the utility does business, I guess. You know, that's why this is an exciting time. It's happening right now. Tesla launched Tesla energy. 
I mean, in any one of the four of us could have seen that coming. I was probably yeah. surprised to the retail market, but mm-hmm. they had solar panels on houses. They had storage in the in the garage. They had a vehicle for backup power. They had, and now, and 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 I think this is a part of it. They have Tesla insurance, so they're actually used to sending bills to customers at home, mm-hmm. right? But you put all those things together, you have a retail energy provider, and and the utility should be really scared of that. That I think is a bigger threat to them today, even than an oil and gas company. But um, it's interesting the the way that oil and gas companies and utilities think of companies like ours that are deploying storage is they're thinking that thinking of us as leverage against the counterparty. So the oil and gas company is saying, if I install batteries on my sites, I am less susceptible to machinations on the utility side, mm-hmm. right? So it's a way, it's kind of like, you know, you owe the bank a little bit of money. They own you, you owe the bank a lot of money, you own them. If I have enough battery storage deployed, I sort of start to own the utility at that point. Oh, this is That's the Mary the Powell. I know, oh, yeah, I was, exactly. I was just yeah. gone there. I was <laughs> You literally have a physical switch that like yeah. the utility will come beg you for that capacity one day <laughs> yeah, that you just right. like yeah. flip on. Yeah. And and vice versa, if the utilities can figure out how to deploy distributed energy storage, and especially at their largest commercial customers, like the big retail sites, shopping malls, et cetera, they can actually lower their cost of supply because they don't need that high baseload anymore. They have much more predictable demand curve and lowering the cost of supply makes them more cost-effective and just strengthens their position. So they should, they one sees us as a way to combat the counterparty. One, one should see us, the utility should see us as a way to lower the supply side of their economics. They just can't figure out how to fit a new technology like this within the structures in the, that have been created. So um, some utilities are, are trying to get there, but there's a lot of things you have to break first. Hmm. I would think that in, in the, the liberalized markets, I mean, your it feels like to me, free wires in this category of, I'm trying to popularize this term. No one's really picking up on it, but virtual wires, right. Right. <laughs> Just going to keep plugging that. Um, Rather no, than free wires, wires, man. Alternative. You, yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah. missed it. <laughs> um, free wires, yeah. Um, which is in competition with with rate based utility infrastructure, right? Like, and there's there's no upside to the utility in being able to sort of like charge and discharge at the right times, et cetera, right? Because that's all passed through to them if they even are the retailer. Um, do you experience that? Like, I I would imagine at some point that expresses itself right where you're you you experience pushback i would i would assume from utilities right because you're you're the competition more than anyone and we're pretty aggressive about it you know i'm very open to the fact that we're 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 doing the job that utilities aren't doing yeah and 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 yes they we are hurting their business model short term because they want to deploy hard assets in the ground and earn a rate of return on it and we're saying no if if you could do that, I would gladly have you do that. Please deploy those assets in the grounds, but you're not. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I'm I'm, I'm going to deploy battery systems, and hopefully, you understand the utility that yes, you're going to make less money short term because you're not making a return on those assets, but you're going to make more money long term because if we can flatten your demand curve, then there's a lot of other efficiencies that you can that can be gained upstream. Yeah, and not to mention this is all in the services 
of pumping a ton more megawatt hours through the system. <laughs> so exactly. like, right. So these aren't, just, like, these yeah, aren't yeah. like just putting batteries. They're putting yeah. batteries because of increased load. Yeah. Yeah. To like enable. Yeah. But yeah, it is interesting. Cause this is sort of like the counter argument to my like general hot take of, we should just let utilities like go ham on like building out their, their grid service and just like not have two to three year waits because they've just like overbuilt the system. I'm like, that's the other. <laughs> well, this is sort of like, you don't have to do that. Yeah. Well, I have, have, been... have you read PG&E's make ready filings? You know, well, that's what I was, spending... ga- that's, that's what I was just going to ask you guys is like how I've always wondered this, like how does that like mechanically get rate based? Like does only that site pay for it or is it socialized? Well, so, well, so. You mean forgetting you, make ready for the moment, just like typically if I just. No, 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 like make like a make ready program where they're like, we're going to make yeah, so there's these two sites types of, ready to well, so there's take two, infrastructure. Like two sides. how does, how does the rate payer pay for that? I guess so there's mechanically. Two sides, yeah. So there's two sides of it. So one is like general utility upgrades to the site, right? Which like usually this is rate based. It's like, that's kind of like effectively the same process right like you need power you're building a building like the utility is required to service you power there are going to be certain like types of equipment there's like some things when you get into like high voltage where the customer has to pay for stuff but like usually like the utility is required to serve you all of that service is rate-based right it's a socialized system but does it, now, it like cost incrementally more than it would have otherwise to make it ready. That, I mean, in that you have more power that's going there, but it's not any, it's not really viewed any differently than building an apartment building in New York city. Yeah. Right. It's like you build an apartment building, you need power. You build EV chargers, you need power. There's time and cost associated with that. What make right. ready programs are often also paying for is the customer side infrastructure as well. Wow. Like switch gear basically. Yeah. But if you think mm-hmm. like switch when gear, I spit that conduit, back to you, trenching panel, yes. like, uh, yeah, like, well, I guess switch gear panels are the same thing. Like yeah. everything short of the chargers themselves. I'm just like, there's, I'm sorry. I'm just like, there's no and that fucking way. Like, is incentive payments, right? Like that's like who's buying reimbursing the customer and then the like utility guys, submitting those costs and rate basing it. Yeah. yeah. You want to talk about like equity concerns? Like think of who's buying EVs right now. Like, and mm-hmm. then you're going to have the utility, like socialize the infrastructure costs, like for, people who can afford so i will basically. i will go like come I will on, go on the, like how are hold on, how is but, the psc gonna approve these like programs so let me like, let me just scale. explain very quickly because i do think a lot of make ready programs are doing a lot around equity there is usually added enhancements for being in lmi areas with publicly accessible charging but so you can get 50 percent but like the idea I know it's in the LMI is area, eventually, but it's like probably but a rich person driving up to so, it and charging. So two there. things. Like, so, yes, one hundred percent today, one hundred percent. But there's two things you have to remember. One is people aren't going to buy EVs unless they're there, and eventually everyone will be buying EVs. The we second hope. is that the biggest benefit of EVs in at least urban areas is air pollution, and yeah. so there is, mm-hmm. regardless of who's driving the car. A huge benefit, and yeah. a huge equity benefit to EVs and EV charging in a neighborhood. Yeah, no, I, so, I get it. I just, I hear, I, no, they I, just, I, they just, they, I hear you. Like, Katie, like, here's my, here's my, like, my work. thesis is basically like, yeah, like, look, make ready is cool, and a lot of like incentives. We forget this often. Like you even kind of alluded to it before. Like 
wanting to put the money efficiently at work, like across as many charges as you can, not just like big sinks, but like one day, like the incentive, those additional incentives, like they're designed to like kickstart the, the thing that we want to have happen. Right. And if you think about like make ready, like the few programs we're doing right now are great in like getting the ball rolling. But if you want to like do that at scale, you do have to think about who, like who's actually utilizing these chargers and like um, how, you know, there is like, we, we do hope one day calling like everyone's driving EVs, but like, what if the first 30% are wealthy people and like the next 40, like the 30 to 70% is like the the mass market or whatever. Which is why you need to make sure that everyone has EV charging before they've bought it. Right. Cause you don't want to just yeah. get out incentives to the wealthy. Okay, let let me use another thought exercise. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with James that there's an absolute equity issue here. You know, the way I, I like to say it is it's East Palo Alto paying for Palo Alto. You know, you're <laughs> yeah, right. installing yeah. chargers in, in, at Stanford shopping mall and all ratepayers are paying for it and lowering communities are getting most negatively impacted, but okay. I understand your argument is that you're going to put some of these in low income communities. I argue though the programs have not worked and most of the money is being spent unwisely. And, but uh, the next iteration of that and the, the hot take in the EV charging market right now is demand charge holidays. Oh yeah. They're, I can't stand these. Yeah. This, what are the, what Hate is those. that? I don't know what that is. Uh, so de- demand some charge crazy holiday. bureaucratic nonsense. That's what it is. The EV and EV specific rates also yeah. terrible. Yeah. yeah, they're asking for hey, we don't want to pay demand charges for two, three, four, five years because it hurts the business model around charging. I can't make money off this charger. Yeah, but guess what? Those chargers are already installed in these high income communities. You turn off demand charges, someone has to pay for that, and right. that someone are you know, it's everybody else, yeah. it's everybody else. Yeah, yeah. no, that I'm, just... I'm 100% with you. I so. <laughs> I, I just love I this. Still... Like, what, what? It's just so funny. You can just, if enough people go to the utility and say, "I want special shit," you get it. Like, <laughs> it's just crazy. Like, yeah, I, it this blows my mind. I like we should start a like uh, hot tub group, and we all want like cheaper rates for our hot tubs. Yes. And if the utility doesn't give it to us, we're gonna get angry because these are electrified hot tubs. These aren't propane. Who is saying tubs. saunas like, as durs? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Form a coalition. Yeah. Yeah. It's just wild to me. And it, what it ends up doing though, is it incents a bunch of like suboptimal behavior. Um, and it's just, I don't know. It's not not like just people going to it, right? Like New York state legislature passed a law requiring the utilities to have an EV rate. (laughs) And so now the PSC has to figure out how to implement that because it's now like a legal requirement that has like nothing to do with the PSC, nothing to do with the utilities. Like nobody really wants the EV rate except for like some state legislature people who like had some constituent go yeah. to them. And like, now it's a law and it's like insane. Um, it's a, but it's a that, great headline for the public. If you're great for the that, public, that, right. Yeah, we're like, I just wondered, I mean, this just goes back to like utilities, right? Like utilities get a lot of hate. I'm, I love utilities, obviously. Um, like make ready programs exist because states have EV targets, right? Yeah. And, the, and in order for EV them to hit those EV targets, they need EV charging. And like the best and fastest way for them to get EV charging is to enable utilities to rate base. So like we're all like, oh, utilities they're like rate basing, but like a lot of this is actually driven state down. No, and I don't utility. even. No, that's yeah. the thing. Is like I don't blame utilities. Like the incentive model exists. Like they're gonna go out and be like, yeah, we can do it this way. 
I more mean like what what I was going to kind of finish on is like the what like at a certain point I just imagine a rate case coming across like the regulators like the PSC's desk and then the numbers getting like so big if like we were to only lean on on the utilities and them just yeah. being like what like well and this how are we to... gonna in our right minds like approve this and have everyone pay like however much it is <laughs> well you know? so this actually goes back to like the question i guess arcadia i wanted to ask you which is like so you avoid a lot of the make ready like needs i don't know like how do we like incentivize yeah, should you get that money you? like you should get some of that money somehow like a share a little share New York this I think so. So funny. They were like, if you save money, you get paid for it as the utility or whatever. You know, I don't know how much it caught on, but yeah, yeah. So avoided cost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and there are folks at the California Energy Commission that are working on this modeling. But you know, we consider our biggest competitor not other charging companies. We consider our biggest competitor Make Ready. Yeah. And and you can see, so you see why I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah. But if there is going to be Make Ready, we are we are advocating that. Uh, the cost of our batteries should be included in make ready costs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 100%. Yeah. That makes sense. So Wait, it's just a better technological way, a cheaper to accomplish way of doing that. it. Yeah. 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 And so our so argument can... is, is you're just going to deploy more chargers. If you use the, if you pay for the battery rather than paying for all this infrastructure for right. one site. Wait. Right. So then this is the question in that scenario. Should the utility write Arcady a check? Or should Arcady be allowed to be in the rate base, right? Should the utility write you a check for $100,000 and then get their 12% ROE? Well, hopefully on it's top like Freewire Inc. Just, it, I mean, no, no, no. Arcady could do some old yeah, world. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, he was pushing that battery like card around. Here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but do you know what I'm saying? There's a distinction here. Should the utility write you an incentive check, then take ROE on it? Or should many parties be allowed to be in the rate base, right? Mm. Because installing a battery at a customer's site is not a natural monopoly. There's no reason to only yeah. let one entity do this. And if we are going to socialize costs, that's an if, but where we are going to do it, why should only one entity be allowed to do it? Yes, maybe yeah. if it's a wire crossing a public right away, only one entity should do it. But if it's a virtual mm, wire, maybe. if it's a virtual wire on a customer site, why can't, free, why, why can't free wire or free wires equipment financier be in the rate base? I'll, I'll, I'll go one step further. I think that every battery in a residential setting should be part of a rate base. Mm. Yeah. So I we think can, yeah. as long as okay, the utility so, gets, gets control of it, they should pay you for it. Okay. So and just you, to be, yeah, no, sorry, go ahead. It, you've seen pilots of this going on. I believe in Vermont, they were paying yeah, homeowners power. Yeah, yeah. amount of power. Yeah, I th- I think that's where it should go because you're effectively again, you're doing the utility a favor. You're flattening the demand curve. Enough of these will make a flat demand curve at yeah. over time. So pay for so, it. So so just uh, I I just want to be rigorous with like kind of my critique here is because I don't fully understand the mechanics. Like when you create the the EV rate there, like say by the state or the battery rate or what have you, um. Does that mean that like while the utility is say funding the infrastructure for this uh this company or site or whatever, um, there's still like it's not gonna incrementally increase everyone's rates because if you're as long as you've like structured that tariff in the right way, conceivably like that site is paying for that infrastructure just like over time 
through demand not that, charges, for not example. That specific. Well, is it not, or is it like, is it like a class of customers, or is it really yeah, like your, your, some your point random? Are they lo- they apartment take- building in like, you know, East Palo Alto, like you said, is going to like somehow pay for the infrastructure. Yeah. In Palo Alto. So right, like the way rates work, gen- like at a very high level, because I'm not a rate expert, right? But like there is the rate base. There is the cost of service for everyone, plus like the prior costs that you're carrying forward. Right. And you take that and then you have your different rate classes and you like think about how to allocate things across those rate classes in a way that feels reasonable. And you take the increases and you allocate it. Right. And that's why we have different rate classes. Yeah. So that you can like have the so that you can figure that out and you can like adjust certain rate classes differently during rate cases in order to determine like the best way to burden the different people with those. So like super, funds. super well-designed rate classes like could conceivably avoid the problem that I'm talking about, right? Yeah, but it's all super complicated and like- But like in reality, there's probably some like leakage or, or like- 100%. And like, start and like avoiding even... demand charges and they need to like recover them somewhere else or like they there are some yeah. things were wrong. Well, and that's it. why you have like the things that you hate, right? But like, that's why they exist. The, like, <laughs> yeah, right. the load, whatever like, the like, down, the charge like, yeah. for leaving, right? Yeah. The charge for leaving mm-hmm, the grid. Right. They're kind of like, well, actually like- We were counting on that. We yeah, were yeah. counting on that for the next 20 years. And so like- and you've been using the grid and like we built out the grid for you. And so like, yeah, right. we are going to charge you to leave the grid. It's like, in some ways it sucks and it doesn't make sense. In other ways, like it kind of makes sense. Right. So just, right. it's never, but know, so that's, it's not easy. People yeah. who do rates are really smart and it's really complicated. <laughs> okay. Makes sense. But the second, the second part of that question to our Katie, like the, was to, um, when you guys are doing this, like, even the model itself, like, do you have a financier funding that? And then like, you're recovering the costs through FreeWire from like the utilization, or is it like, say the Wendy's franchise owner, um, taking some risk on the CapEx and then Just recovering the it, like they yeah. get more money in that. Cause I've seen like different models where like the charging infrastructure will almost like lease the parking lot and then they get all the revenue or like, is could they be like, Hey, I want a 15% IRR. Like, yeah, it's um, the latter. So are you the you're actually pushing the capex onto that one site in particular? Like, yeah, we don't black hold and white. On like, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not building your own fleet of chargers. Yeah, right. we are not. We are not. But we you're are controlling helping, them. Yeah, we're controlling yeah. them. We're helping yeah. the site host capture every possible incentive dollar out there. Low yeah. carbon fuel credits, Cal EVIP programs, mm-hmm. federal tax credits. We're we're literally filling out the paperwork, and they get to sign on the dotted line because we really want to juice their returns. We we believe in a long term relationship because if their returns don't look good, they're not going to buy charges a year from now. Yeah, but but we ultimately, don't have the balance sheet to carry it. Yeah, and ultimately, like you want to be a technology company, not an infrastructure owner. Right. Yeah. Right. Interesting. All right. I thought. Colleen, it's well. It's gonna go. It's gonna go on and on forever. You and me. Oh yeah, we should. You know? Yeah, I know. We'll That's never end podcast. that conversation. That's why we right. have the podcast <laughs> for that conversation. All right. Do you guys um, want to transition to our ending section? Yeah, we, yeah, do. we kept our Katie, Katie over. Katie, we're already, we're we're already over, gone over. Yeah. Do you have a few? You have five more minutes. Yeah, please go. Yeah. Okay. Great. Are you ready? You're the energy czar of America. I hope. That term is okay with you. Um, <laughs> That's very okay. <laughs> Your Russian household as well, Colin. It's, it's um, fine. Yeah. yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Um, 
and my husband's family is also from the Soviet Union. Um, what, so you have one day energies are of America. What policy do you implement? And you can do one thing. Ooh, that's good. Uh, low carbon fuel program across the country. Mm. Credits everywhere. I mean, the California program, but national national program it's not just california right we have it in washington oregon british columbia california and you have a voluntary program across the world so you the, the voluntary credits are worth what seven bucks six bucks seven bucks each so it's not that lucrative but listen i i think this is actually a huge transfer of wealth from one state to another so i, I was just talking to um the lieutenant governor of michigan who's by the way brilliant if you ever get him on your show you'll you'll really enjoy it super he's a technologist through and through but i said listen you have these these major oems the big three that are buying carbon credits from companies in california this is a huge distribution of wealth from michigan to california (laughs) why don't you create a why don't you implement your own program right yeah and uh and so listen i think there's a, a political firestorm and you know this is like kind of like in certain states, a third rail you don't touch, but I think we should be, we should price carbon. And, and this is one, I think, elegant way to do, of doing that. Hmm. Love it. So is that's that, an interesting that idea. Question? Is that like biofuel shit or is that, could that be like an EV that's like more, <laughs> it more is like biofuel shit. Sometimes <laughs> it's also things like electric forklifts. Some of the companies getting a ton yeah, of these yeah. low carbon fuel credits. So it's like EV a lot stuff of money. too. Yeah, exactly. yeah, but it's like right? you have to like show that it's like charged on solar or something. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You get it. You get. You can't just like hook it into coal. No, no, no. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It, no matter what, you're okay. <laughs> but yeah, you get the adder. You get the adder yeah. if it's on solar. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Um, a lot it, or of specifically, you get to. Yeah, that's why every calculate the carbon intensity of your power source, and if the carbon intensity is is low enough, you get a ton of money if it's, or a ton of credits, which translates to a lot of money, but you get the credits no matter what, if charging something electric. Have you ever contemplated an add-on to the free wire charger that kind of like puts a solar array on top mm-hmm. somehow mm-hmm. modularly, like just like dropping it on? Is that doable? Yes. 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 And so, just generate um, mad LCFS credits. Yeah. Yeah. You're just not going to generate. So again, it goes into yeah, I know. Yeah, carbon yeah. intensity. Because there's not enough panel to really make a dent in our energy consumption. Sure. So you'd have to have a huge panel for this, right? I mean, we know that. But and... I just mean these would be the most cost, the, the best ROI solar panels deployed in America, right? <laughs> like it might not make a huge dent on the charger, but relative to any other solar job, this is going to be the best one that exists. Yeah, they'll, they'll just go ba- just based towards... on the volume of kilowatt hours it produces, whether it's a lot or a little relative to the charger, who cares? Yeah, yeah. I used to think about this because of the solar ITC. You could pair storage with solar, and you would get in. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Get a, a discount, but now that we have the energy storage tax credit, and we don't need that anymore. So you get the you get the tax credit, right? We get the ESS tax credit or the EV charging tax credit, and the brilliant thing is the EV charging tax credit is limited to locations in which the income is less than or equal to 80% of the statewide median income. It mm-hmm. was an 11th hour conversation between Manchin and Biden. And he said, let's make the EV charging tax credit for low income communities. And so there's huge swaths of the country that are just not going to get that EV charging tax credit. Whereas the energy storage tax credit 
is available across the entire country. There's no income qualification, and you get a 10% adder on top of the 30% if you're in a fuels community. And sure. this is what blew my mind. Most of America is a fuels community. All of LA, as yeah. you know, because you see all those, you know, uh, fuel pumps everywhere. But it's it's a hugely lucrative tax. Wait, so do you get the 30% battery or storage ITC on like, do you somehow just calculate the battery portion of your costs or is it on the whole thing? So that is a decision to be made by the IRS. And we are working with council to try to figure out how they'll interpret it. We think the entire thing is an energy storage device. Mm-hmm. But we Because it's all integrated, like inverters, yeah. controllers, yeah. like it's all kind of part of the same thing. Maybe yeah, not the I like, take... maybe not the plug. You know, like, yeah, right. Yeah. I fine, I'll take off the plug, right? But yeah, the yeah. everything else is related to importing energy, storing energy, and exporting energy. I mean, I need yeah. still need the BMS, I still need the system control, or I still need the thermal management system. I still yeah. need it all. Right? All that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Wild. I don't really know what you guys are talking about, but it sounds cool. So <laughs> tax all right. credits and stuff. I don't know. Tax credits. <laughs> um loving a tax credit. So Moving into our lightning round, oh, well, my Microsoft reboots, um, <laughs> dope or nope. So you're going to, we're just going to give you some, some words and you're going to tell us if you think it's dope and or awesome or nope. And you can give us information on why or not up to you. Um, so the first one, um, Utility owned public chargers. This feels like a freebie. Nope. <laughs> uh, who's going to maintain them? Nobody. Opex, no return. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. Uh, old school nuclear power. Hmm. Nope. Yeah, that's that's a fair one. Um, that makes sense. Next gen nuclear power. Yes. Yeah. Dope. It could be dope. Okay, so uh, you're but, but despite Chernobyl. Take, yeah, if it didn't take yeah. 26 years to deploy one plant. Yeah, yeah, fair. Like it has to work. It has to work. Yeah, like that's that's a given. Um, we have actually every every, every every nuclear project is over budget and over schedule by at least a decade and ten and multiple billions of dollars. So yeah, I mean, just stick to schedule and stick to budget, and it's dope. So yeah. you don't you don't subscribe to the like that's just because the bureaucracy is meddling in nuclear projects too much theory. You think I nuclear sort of inherently is has these issues. It, it's both, right? There is bureaucracy yeah. because nuclear inherently has those issues and is inherently yeah. scary. And we have inher- and we have had major disasters. Yeah. Um. And so I do think the bureaucracy belongs there, and bureaucracy is what you know um, creates the longer timeline and the higher costs. So I, I don't know. There's it's I don't know how to get out of that that negative feedback loop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I have um, to ask this. Like I'm I'm sorry, Colleen. I know you're trying to move through, but uh given that you're like so close to it, I don't know if uh sort of like family or like knowing perhaps like Russian or Soviet Union culture around Chernobyl, like a lot of people say today nuclear has a branding problem. And that's like the main problem. Like people don't want them built because they're afraid of them, which I don't really buy. Do you like being that close to like one of those disasters? Like, do you think, do you buy that? Like, are people irrationally afraid of this? Or like, what's your perspective on kind of um, the people, you know, that have, that were even like impacted by it? Um, well, you remember the the future vision of California from the 1950s was we would have nuclear and desalinization plants right next to each other up and down the coast. Right. That was 
that was the future. And that's the future that the Soviet Union tried to build too. Um, they cut a lot of corners. That's what communism does. And and we got what, what we got. Um, I do think it's a NIMBY problem. But if I asked any single person here on these four squares, if they wanted a nuclear power plant within 10 miles of them, I don't know. I would say no. I, I think you would say no as well, especially if you have a family. So um, you can make them safe. I mean, South Korea is building nuclear power plants. You yeah. know, um, France has tons of nuclear and it seems to be going fine. But um, the culture here in the U.S. just I don't think will allow for it. I, I think. And plus, I think we've just moved past it. I think solar is so cost effective and so safe. Right. You've never heard of solar meltdowns. And if they you have, it's it's not very impactful to communities. Why don't we just go in that direction? Yeah. So you're saying you think, yeah, the branding problems is is significant, but also the problem is now that the technology landscape has changed and there's yeah. there's actual like competitive. They have a lot issues. of catching up to do. Yeah. 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 Plus, I okay. think there's a non-zero chance we're gonna rip a hole in the space-time continuum. <laughs> I want, and I want to avoid that. Mm, yeah, yeah. Oh, geez. I, we're gonna get into that, you know, yeah. in person over some beers. Yeah, some, that's some a, beers. That's a beer yeah, conversation for sure. Yeah. Um. Okay. So we didn't actually t- talk about this one during the episode, but I'm curious how you feel about level two charging. Has a place. Has a, Has place. a place in in uh, some. So that's a le- qualified le- le- dope. Yeah, qualified light utilization fleets and and apartment buildings. I think it's great. It's fantastic, uh, but I don't think it has a place in public charging. Mm. I like that. Makes sense okay. to me. Yeah. Um, Ferk twenty two twenty two. Oh man, you're stretching the limits. Yeah, everyone's you're favorite. D DERs can participate in wholesale markets. National uh, requirement. So. So yes, uh, dope. Um, it's going to be really hard to implement. You're going to have all these aggregators trying to figure this out. Utilities yeah. trying to price these things. Um, I it's it, it is absolutely dope. I think we're years away from seeing anything happen here at scale. Okay, so another qualified dope on quad deuce. Okay, yeah, uh, a lot of nuance in these convers in these uh, in these answers, which yeah. will allow will allow. Um, <laughs> Duncan's branded virtual wires. <laughs> oh, dope. <laughs> oh, free free wire getting in the rate base. Dope. Free okay. wire getting in the rate base. Dope. Good old franchise rights. Um, Do you need... Franchise rights meaning kind of like easement rights? Meaning and... like, yeah, well, meaning like utility ha- is the only one who has the right to serve you. I can't like run a power extension cord or build wires you... to my neighbor. Yeah. James, you wanna? Well, the ex- the exclusive right to build infrastructure, like in a given territory, like the utility monopoly, basically. Well, so I, I understand why they have them. It's you know running extension cords from one house to another. I mean, there is the risk that there's going to be power flow upstream and kill someone. Right? Yeah, but you so, can have standards for that, right? It's just like on an ownership model, I guess. Yeah, but. Um... You know, you worry at a certain scale that people don't follow the standards anymore. Wow, so it's it sounds like uh, oh, that's that's me. that's Colleen. No, yes. That's Colleen. Yeah. She's like, there's gonna be wires. I don't trust everywhere. people either. I'm like, no, we yeah. freed the wires. There's no, yeah, I mean, but I don't know. think it matters. We don't need the wires. <laughs> <laughs> there are no yeah, so wires you're needed. Like, 
your your franchise rights are a dope D- yeah but right. you're yes. like i don't even care i don't need wires yeah yeah we've decentralized them. anything anyways <laughs> i love that i'll take that take where we're going um, you don't need wires yeah yeah nice. <laughs> i feel like i'm gonna close us i'm gonna close us out on one that also feels like a give me which is ev make ready programs oh god nope nope but what if what if you were part of them I still think nope. I, I still think nice. even if they you're not said, just gonna talk. You're not a great principal. Like, yeah, you're like if Love they it. exist, I will take the money. But if they but they shouldn't exist. <laughs> yeah, if I can't fight them, then then I'll have to be part of them. But I I don't want them at all. Yeah, you yeah. think it's just just not a good incentive. Like even if other things can get the money, it just doesn't produce good outcomes. You're gonna see fewer chargers and each of them at higher cost and business models that don't work and units not maintained in the ground because somebody else paid for it and why do i need to maintain it love it hey we heard it here okay so final segment is called big shouts and we literally just say big shouts to x and it can be any anything you want so like uh, i'll i guess big shouts to ev owners for buying EVs, good job. Uh, I'll say, I'll say, big, big, big shouts to uh, Nissan for producing the Nissan Leaf. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. The, the batteries for which have been like the tinkering object of like many entrepreneurs at this point. There's so many people who started in their battery journey with buying Nissan Leaf batteries, including Arcady. Big uh, shouts big to sh- landfills. Yeah, yeah, the landfills <laughs> getting those batteries. Big shouts to all of these consumers, consumers that are now willing to hold 200 kilowatts in their hand while drinking a cup of coffee and being on their cell phone, and it's raining outside, and no one even thinks twice about it. No, man, Tesla had a vision of like transmitting power through the earth and shit, but you just needed like a lot of batteries. You don't need the wires, right? So just batteries. I guess that's a big shouts to Tesla, but like. He didn't know the lithium ion battery was going to exist. Yeah. Wait, have big you shouts ever... to Chile and Argentina for providing us lithium? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Big shouts that. to big lithium deposits. <laughs> Brian <laughs> pools. Yeah. <laughs> Brian. Cool. I love Duncan, it. you were right. going to say something. Was that it? Oh. Um, I kind of forget now. Oh, yeah. No, I was curious and if if end users are ever nervous about holding a super powerful power cable, just like in their hand and plugging it. Well, into I'm, something. I'm shocked that they're not more nervous. Yeah. It's, they, um... don't, they don't get it. Like not to be like rude to power consumers. Cause I'm sure they're smarter than me and other things, but. No, it's funny. Like I'll plug in a, plug. a DCFC charger into a Tesla and be like, Meh. but like expose the wires on like a USB cable. I'm like, I don't want to touch it. if there's something i don't know yeah it's the scale of you ever seen like the the pigeons sitting on power lines and they're like oh this is fine this is fine (laughs) big shouts to wires big shouts to not the lack there lack of wires big shouts to no wires to to virtual wires are you saying yeah big shouts to virtual wires wires. we'll we'll go with that wires i love that Awesome. I broke a piece of equipment in our office this week. Well, it, it fixed. I fixed it, but I it like electrocuted me. Our like office webcam, and then it turned off, and like all the sound was terrible. Whoa! And yeah, I know. I just was like trying to move it, and it electrocuted me, and like everything broke. And I was like, "What is happening?" Well, wow, no so big shouts. Just, 
Getting electrocuted is not dope. No big shouts to UL. They clearly did not uh, uh, deal with that one properly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So important importance of standards right there. Big, big shouts to UL and uh, you know, standards and and big shouts to you, Arcady, man, huge fans of your, your business and what you guys are doing. And um, it's uh an inspiring vision of the future, I think. Um, so, one hundred percent. Well, it just it just requires a little bit of hard work, elbow grease too. Some elbow grease, some you know, six a.m. wake ups, driving the batteries around. It's it's <laughs> not really much different than doing an engine swap at eleven years old, you know. Like <laughs> eh, same thing. <laughs> All right, Arcady, this was fun. Thanks for this thanks great. for joining. Yeah, thanks for joining. Thanks for the ex- thanks for the extra time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Anytime. Thank you all. Cheers, man. Awesome. Have a good Appreciate one. Appreciate it. See ya. Arcadia, 